Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 390 on Tuesday, the 13th of April, 2021. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And this week we'll be baffled at how VW thought it would win its latest court battle. We discuss some very urban-centric thinking, and we gaze at many lines. But first, we're going to leap into follow-up, and it's been a while... But our constant companion since we started this podcast has reared its ugly head again, Dieselgate. And this is uh, to do with customers suing VW because, and this is in Germany, because VW had claimed that they only needed to pay back a customer who had bought one of their diesel cars, but not the interest payments on the loan. And funnily enough... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the customer went, that doesn't sound fair. And the Federal Court of Justice in Karlsruhe... Karlsruhe. Okay, oh, I did all right there. Also agreed with the customer, with the judge, Stefan Seiters, saying the buyer must be provided for as if the purchase had not happened. <laughs> I just don't understand how they felt they were going to win that. Who, Volkswagen? Yeah. No, well, I don't know. It's a weird one because the the counter argument is well, it wouldn't have mattered what they'd bought; they would have still had the interest payments. But that, then you could say, but you'd have bought something and you'd have paid money out, whatever. It's just you happen to be us. Yeah, maybe the other deals. I don't know, but I don't know. I think the fact that it was Volkswagen VW Bank that provided <laughs> the loan might not have helped here, and that if it had been via a different bank. Then, then there might not have been the same, the same thing because, because if you, yeah, well, I don't know, I don't know. You would think that, but I, I don't think that it being VW Bank probably, probably helped. No, I, I doubt it. I doubt it. Right, take us on to the new news, though. The new news, and I'm sure that this piece of running order was a fix. A World Car Person of the Year 2021 has been announced, and the winner is. Akio Toyoda, so CEO of Toyota. You know what he's won it for? He's won it for getting the most articles in the Motoring Podcast in recent weeks. (laughs) It's unbelievable. I know, I feel really guilty that we end up oversaturating with Toyota stuff. But (laughs) I I can't add any more to that. But he was saying, thank you again for this award, he said. And to my fellow car lovers, see you on the track. So there you go. Well, I think I think that just that just underlines what we were saying last week about Toyota and not a boring car company anymore, etc. Yeah, no more boring cars. So, yeah, well done. Speaking of boring cars, yes, <laughs> that's and not fair either. By the way, before we get lynched by the no, not anymore, not anymore, not anymore. In this week's, people were clearly bored, so they felt they must moan to someone's article. The Advertising Standards Authority had a number of complaints following Vauxhall's claim of being a British brand since 1903. Now, people complained to the uh, ASA saying, well, hang on, they were owned by General Motors and they're now owned by Stellantis. So they can't possibly be British. That's outrageous. But... In defence of themselves, Vauxhall issued a response stating that the, and I'm quoting here from the AM on Automotive Management Online article, which will be in the show notes, I said uh, that the fact that it had always built its vehicles in Britain, 
and the fact that Vauxhall's parent company, Stellantis, was neither British nor based in the UK did not change the fact that Vauxhall was a British brand. They were also a British, a UK registered entity, uh, and they sold only Vauxhall branded vehicles exclusively in Great Britain and Northern Ireland. There is no more, you can act, it's very hard to say there's a more British brand than Vauxhall, given they only sell Vauxhall in Britain. I, I, it's, I feel it's a weird one. I mean, I, I just feel it's a very weird one. Yes, I, I didn't realise people were complaining at that. Yeah, well, they're all very bored, aren't they? Clearly. That, that's the best I can come up with to that one. This was before lockdown was eased, obviously. <laughs> yeah, I just, just, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. The things people are finding to take offence at at the minute are, are quite, not just taking offence, they're taking the gate and the small potting shed as well. Yes, well... Along those lines, do you want to take us into the next couple of articles where we feel we need to bring them up? I know, I want to skirt over these relatively quickly, to be honest, because uh, just after we went out last week, there was an article in on the BBC News page by the BBC's environment analyst. You know exactly which way this is going now. And it was headlined, City Drivers Should Think Twice Before Buying SUVs. And it came about as a result of a, a piece of research. That was my audio version of inverted commas with my fingers. <laughs> by the a think tank. Now, we love think tanks around here. Oh, we are the big fans of think tanks. <laughs> big fans of think tanks. And they are called the New Weather Institute. So you can see where all of this is going. Someone called the New Weather Institute who runs uh, a scheme called Badvertising, which stops adverts fueling the climate emergency. You can possibly see that they're not going to necessarily say that that large, larger vehicles, larger personal vehicles, are, are the best way to get around in cities. And neither are we, to be honest. But it was pointing out that but this research shows that large SUVs, often known as Chelsea tractors, says the BBC. Finger on the pulse there. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard anyone refer to them. I have no, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just such a, I don't know. I can't think the last time I've heard anyone use that term. There's actually a company called Chelsea Tractors that puts Chelsea, bits on yeah. Wranglers and yeah, stuff they, like that. It's, yeah, it's an offshoot of Khan. Oh, is it? Is it Khan Design? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an offshoot uh, Chelsea Tractor Company. So they did just Defenders and whenever the Defender went out of, out of production, then they moved to Jeep Wranglers. All right, okay. Of various levels of taste, and generally mm. matte grey. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Chelsea tractors are indeed most prevalent in places such as Chelsea. And then it goes on to say that they're typically defined by their extreme size and off-road features. And it says the most likely large SUV to be owned by a city driver is the Lexus NX300. And missing off the H for hybrid off the end of that. But don't get too picky there at that point, Alan. I mean, I, I like the way that they, they claim that three-quarters of all SUVs sold in the UK are registered to people living in towns and cities. I'd like to know a breakdown of demographic of how many people live in the cities and urban areas compared to who don't, and see whether that happens to be three-quarters of the UK population too. The other one is, what's an SUV? Well... You know, what's an SUV? Is it length? Whatever. They, they give this fantastic image comparative diagram here and it shows how popular cars have grown in size as a classic mini and it gives a dimensions of a of an Isigonis mini an absolutely knackered one by the way yeah and then it gives a bmw mini uh, and it gives dimensions which are much bigger and then it gives a mercedes-benz gls well they're 10 a penny round are we 
how many people could spot and name a Mercedes-Benz GLS? So I, I sat and I went through some JATO numbers. <laughs> so JATO analytics. The things Alan does for you. The things I do when I'm waiting for Andrew, because I haven't given him a link to join the podcast recording, actually, is what happens. So Lexus NX, 4.6 meters, 4.640. Tesla Model 3, 4.694. So that's about the same weight. And it's also a little bit longer than the SUV. Uh, admittedly, it is lower. Give you that. It's lower. Whatever difference that makes. Whatever difference that makes. The ID, the Volkswagen ID4 uh, and the Skoda Enyaq, which is not a surprise that they're both shorter than the Tesla Model 3 as well, given that they are, are based on the same platform. Uh, but I went through the ones for the large SUVs, and the only thing I could find that is longer than the Mercedes-Benz GLS was a Rolls-Royce Cullinan. Uh, and even then, that's by just under 13 centimetres. Even the X7, which, as we all know, doesn't so much come as a grill with a portico on the front, <laughs> yes. is shorter. It's as if they went out and said, what is the biggest? Oh, and an extended wheelbase Range Rover as well is is also shorter by 13 millimetres. But it's as if they went out and they said, well, what's the biggest SUV that's there? And decided to, to choose that, to compare that to an Isigonis Mini. Just unfathomably poor. Interesting to see the, the comments back from representatives from Steve Gooding at the RAC Foundation uh, pointing out that we should all be choosing the right vehicle for the right trip, uh, which is completely correct, of course. Yep. Even from Edmund King of the AA also said sensible things. But it's it's worth mentioning that, that people are getting upset about SUVs and things. Now, pretty much every forthcoming EV over the next little while is going to be SUV-shaped because it gives space for the batteries at the bottom. So yep. they're in for a nasty shot. Now, obviously, we would much rather comprehensive, integrated, affordable public transport system, clean, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, public transport system available to everyone. But that doesn't always work all the time, even in cities. Obviously, public transport best cleaner cars next yeah the the stereotype uh last really when it comes to that yeah. i've grossly over talked about that one because it really annoyed me <laughs> well th there's another one because uh I, I saw last week there was articles about research that was done into smart motorways and i actually did the survey of that and there was only one way the re the response that came out could come out from that survey, and yet that was deemed as newsworthy. So when I saw the headline saying, Survey finds most European city dwellers support a 2030 ban on combustion car sales, I wondered exactly what the wording was of the questions, because you can make a survey give you whatever it is you want it to say by the questions you ask. Another one of the times there is that fantastic um, bit about national service from Yes Prime Minister, which is absolute genius. <laughs> it does it goes through and explains exactly that it gives similar but different questions, or three similar but different questions, and, and two completely different outcomes. Yeah, this was a YouGov poll that was on behalf of environmental campaigners, of which transport and environment were part of those as in they are the ones who commissioned the poll hmm. and i can just imagine what the questions were <laughs> uh, and and this is just such a shame that we can't get hold of the copies of of the questions of these articles uh, of these questionnaires because that would show you how how they can be tweaked but uh, what they're basically trying to say is over 
10,000 people were surveyed, well, responded, and 63% said they supported the idea of, from 2030, only emissions-free cars should be sold in Europe, which sounds great. And to be honest, it's about right for cities. Yeah. But it depends where you are. And by the way, that online, it was an online opinion poll, uh, and it was spread around 15 cities. 8% said they didn't know, by the way. Yeah. As well. There's a link to more details of that in the in the show notes at Automotive yeah. News Europe. The, the, the problem is that there's a lot of this one-sided looking at an issue going on and stuff we've talked about often where we, we worry that the conversation gets hijacked mm. and other people who should equally be heard and their their needs and requirements should also be considered need to be need to be involved in this conversation too. Agreed. Anyway, Andrew, grants from UK government to car museums and events. Yeah, absolutely. This is a good story. It is. Um, this is on uh, motoring research, and there are five car-related organisations that are going to receive uh, grants t- because of the uh, coronavirus pandemic to help them recover and to reopen. One of which uh, is one that we've visited a couple of times ourselves in the Motorfest Coventry have received £20,000, which will help them to create a COVID secure event in 2021. Now, if I remember correctly, I think they're doing like a month long yes. thing where it's going to be over weekends across a month. Smaller but longer was what I read, yeah. Yeah, um, the Heritage Skills Academy is also going to get some help. Mm-hmm. And also there is the Silverstone Experience Museum, which only opened 12 days before the first lockdown. <laughs> so yeah, they have no really chance bad. to get going. <laughs> Crikey. <laughs> you got a feel for them there. And there's also the Roby Trust, which preserves, restores, and displays steam vehicles uh, down in Devon. They have got some money as well. So they've basically been, uh, what it says in the article, is they've basically been over winter um, maintenance for 18 months mm. now. <laughs> so they, yeah. they, they feel confident that things are going to be working fine. The one last one, of course, because you mentioned four but not five, is the Association of Heritage Engineers. Dominic Taylor Lane, so you can hear an interview. I did an interview with him in lockdown one, lockdown, lockdown. I don't know, lockdown one of the first. Uh, the <laughs> uh, and there'll be a link to that in the show notes, uh, chatting about the Association of Heritage Engineers. But he was saying that it's really nice that, that there's a focus on small charities as well uh, in this, and you know that smaller people have been able to to put a reasonable case together to the DCMS, who you know, people who normally wouldn't go near them, wouldn't need to ask for help or anything like that and have actually worked their way in and and are seen as part of that heritage ecosystem yeah good stuff yep it is good really pleasing talking of events though alan the one motoring event of the year that i've really been looking forward to haggerty's festival of the unexceptional we'll be back on the 31st of july it'll be in lincolnshire at grimsthorpe castle and it's reached that point of the year where they are asking for people to submit their cars for the concours d'ordinaire if you have something which is at the time was spectacularly ordinary and yet is still spectacular condition and still ordinary then this is your chance to to put it forward to be on the the special display lawn uh, of course you get 
if you have to have tickets and you have a car of suitable age, then you can park in the the appropriate age car park. I think it goes up to ninety six or something. But yeah, it's it's excellent. It's it's really good. It's as I say, it's the event this year that I'm most looking forward to, and and the one that I'm really really hoping to be at. So um, so yes, uh, if you have something which fits, then then you can put it forward. Yeah, there will be a link in the show notes directly to entering your vehicle. Vehicles built between 66 and 96. So you're right there. Yes, that was 96. Um, so you can do that. And there is also in the show notes a really fun article from Anthony Ingram talking about <laughs> the show. What have you? Are you still just taking the Merc? I'm taking the Merc, but I'm not putting it. It, it might. It gets into the appropriate age parking. It is neither. It, it it wouldn't qualify because being a Mercedes, it's not ordinary enough. No. But you know, if you've got a a, a perfect, uh, let's take a. If you got a perfect uh, Lancia Delta, but not an Integrale, because that's too good. Yeah, just an LX. <laughs> then that would probably go. Well, that would you know that that's the kind of thing that people are that people will be entering. Maxis, miners, our friend Dave from Lobster Diecast. He was he was there when the last times I went. Uh, he had his uh, he had his Renault Four van uh-huh. there. Uh, he he got into the Concourse d'Ordinaire. Yeah, any of those kind of things. Mark two Mark two Cavalier, perhaps show that he's a British brand. Yeah, <laughs> or you know, just a really dull Nova. Somehow, the Nova Merit on steel wheels and all this, which hasn't been touched, then, then that's the kind of thing you're talking about. Anyway, that's taken us to the end of the first part of the show. So that means that this is Guilt Minute, the quick break in the show where we ask for a tad of financial support to keep the hosting running. If you find that the motoring podcast is worth a small consideration every month, then you can become a patron. The different levels of patron include different levels of commitment from us to you, including being able to watch the show recorded live. We also have a small range of merchandise available from our website and spring store, from stickers to mugs and t-shirts. If you don't have any spare cash, and we completely understand, of course, then you can help us by following for free from a podcast player to receive every show as they're released, and by liking and rating the show in whatever way your podcast supplier lets you. If you're having any trouble with any of that stuff, then do please get in touch. Contact us probably via twitter is best uh, and we can help you find an appropriate podcast player uh, or subscribe if you've done all of that and some of you do so thanks very much then the last thing you can do is recommend us to your friends and colleagues yes right new car news segment we're going to be smooth this week I, it, I think it's called new new car news new new car news okay new new car news right new new car news and this time we're going to go french and the Citroen C5X, which is they're going to be their new flagship model. Mm-hmm. Now, this is a bit unusual because it's a bit big, a bit SUV. They claim it's a bit estatey. It isn't. It's more jacked up estate. Um, I think this is Volvo V70 cross country. I will heartily argue about the estateness of this vehicle. <laughs> It's like a large hatchback. Yeah, all right. It's a slanty estate. Yeah. It, but it's kind of cool looking, I think. I yes. Think it's a good looker. I, no, I do. I, I like the, the... I see a lot of... Uh, what was the uh, the DS5? Yes. You're not the first person to have said that. I think uh, I think I saw Phil saying that. Particularly in profile. I said the, the back end 
uh, and the, the, the treatment of the windows and um, pillars and stuff like that, which I hmm. don't dislike at all in any way. No, I, I like. I even like the DS5, so so I'm a sort of open book on this, to be perfectly honest. And it's got large interior, panoramic sunroof available as well. Uh, but in the front, it's got two things which are kind of cool. First of all, it's got a big 12-inch touchscreen. So, everyone says, it's also got some knobs and things for your ventilation and your heating. Yay! And your volume. No! What are they going retro? <laughs> I know, they're going retro. But the, the thing it also has is, but essentially a massive head-up display. It has a great big head-up display, which it can show lots of stuff on as well. So as well as your speed, it will show, according to the, the press photos anyway, quite sort of large graphics for your, your navigation and all that kind of thing, which looks pretty cool, I guess, for as long as it keeps working. I, I don't think they have as much problems in that area. They as they I'm used sorry, that was too terrible trope that I uh, that I rolled out there. That's really unfair. Um, they they do seem to have addressed that, and they and they do seem to have. Uh, the, well, the, it used to be the PSA group, but Stellantis mm. seem to have got the infotainment interface to work quite well, and all the mm. rest of it as well. So that from that point of view, I'm more confident in things just working. Yeah. And yeah. I'm being, a, but it's it's I, I'm particularly drawn because I'm an old broken man to the magic carpet style comfort. What do they they call it? Something particular, don't they? It's the advanced comfort design yes. ethos. Yeah, mattress style advanced comfort seat designs. There you go. It's perfect for old people. But uh, it's a likely that it'll have two small petrol engines so uh one pure tech 130 and pure tech 180 engines eight speed auto gearboxes priced from about twenty seven thousand pounds which seems pretty competitive if if anybody buys it there'll also be a hybrid version a plug-in hybrid version pardon me which is front drive as well it'll cost from around thirty five thousand pounds and it'll put out a combined output of around 222 brake horsepower i could i was trying to work out why they were launching it now to be honest because it seemed a bit weird and then i remember that of course there were two well my first thing was when's the next french presidential election because <laughs> i thought one must be coming up soon and of course you want to have your nice new car with the new president hanging out the roof of it uh, and it's april 2022 1st of April 2022, this will be on sale in the UK uh, because that was one of the things I had to check is, is it going to be sold here uh, towards the end of 2021? It's convenient for that. But the reason it's being announced now isn't really that. It's because the Shanghai Auto Show uh, starts next week. Yep. So expect over the course of this week, between now, you know, between now and our next recording, expect there to be quite a few announcements coming out. This is... Uh, because there are practically no others, there is meant to be Frankfurt in Munich in September, I believe. But yeah, pinch of salt and all that. Yeah. So so Shanghai is really the premier auto auto show this year. So I think some stuff that would have been launched at Geneva is coming out. It's coming out over the next little while. Uh-huh. Do you think this will sell? I'd like it to. Uh, will it sell in the UK? Probably not in big numbers, but I can see it being i can see it selling in france why why not over here though now considering how people have accepted uh and, and this is it's certainly no disrespect to these brands because you know we like them but the way people will spend 
north of that on Hyundai and Kias. Yeah. Um, I think that helps them. If they can get the marketing right, I think that helps them because, again, if they can do the monthlies mm. right. If they can do the monthlies right. But then there's the who's going to... Uh, as is being pointed out by one of our patrons, there is the the fact of, of dealer service. And is it the environment that someone who's looking for a, for this kind of car is going to go into? Which is a which you know is. But they walk into a high uh, high Hyundai. They walk into a Kia, which not so long ago was not was not this price bracket that they're in now that they're fighting now. That's true. It's well. Let's let's see. I I would like to see them on the road. I would very much because I I think this is something different. It's it's interesting, and I think it could. It it will tick a lot of boxes that people who go for. Just an SUV. No, it says just. No. Just an SUV. It will tick those boxes, I think, but be different. I th- I don't think it's ones that want. I think it's people who actually don't want an SUV are more likely to to, to go for this okay. because they want that sort of large-ish estate car, mm. but they just aren't. No, they're isn't. just not really offered. Uh, you know what? What are there? There's Ford's going to stop selling them on Deo, so we might as well give up on that. Mazda six. There's the Mazda Six. You're right about the Optima. Is it still? Is it still an, still an estate? I, I can't remember off the top of my head. I'm not sure. I know it has been an estate. You know, there's there's not a massive choice there, and it's very big. Then you're talking Volvo yeah. area. Other than that, so, the, the, uh, there's a Peugeot 508. Is the one that I was trying to remember just there. Uh, uh, I saw one of those this week in our town. Oh wow, that does look nice. Hmm. They've done very well there. It's an absolute looker. It's a shame. It's, I believe, is it the same platform? I think it's the same platform. Don't quote me on that. Don't at me, everyone. I, will, I had actually meant to check that before before we talked about this. But um, but yeah, I think it's pretty cool. Yeah. And if they can get the ride right, they've fixed the problems that the DS5 had. Yes. Yes. Well, good luck to them. We'll let you know when we get a chance to try one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Basically. Right, take us to Formula E, Alan. Uh, so Formula E, it took place in Rome at the weekend. There were no, I was going to say there were no fans around. Somebody will now make you a sarcastic uh, muttering to themselves uh, about Formula E and fans. Yeah, because uh, it wasn't really in the middle of Rome. It was. I, I saw someone described it as, as it's Ryanair's description of Rome. <laughs> so it was quite... <laughs> So it was quite quite far south of the city. Whilst all the pictures uh, and photos were taken by the uh, yeah by the appropriate fountains and the Colosseum and all these kind of things, it actually took place at one at the uh, university campus, essentially built just before the Second World War. Um, so it's all of a style, you know. The, the only nice thing you can say about the fascists is that they did good buildings. <sighs> I say I say that as a fan of uh, of Milano Centrale railway station because it's very cool, but you know it, it was otherwise not the nicest area. Well, it was nice. It was nice. It wasn't all sort of concretey, but it was it was very much big columns and imposing buildings. And and the track was an awful lot like like Paris really, in that it's sort of up one side, round a twiddly thing down, and a little bit of shuggling around mixed in. I didn't see the. The second race. I didn't see Sundays, but I did catch Saturdays. 
and it was base. It finished under the safety car. Loads of quite a few crashes. Was that the track again? We I know, no, no, no. I don't think it was the track. Actually, it was it was unluckiness. Well, it wasn't the track layout. Although I believe that okay. some parts of the track were exceptionally bumpy, and if people were just slightly out of line, it could it was flicking the cars quite okay. seriously on one straight, and that's what did it towards the end it wasn't anyone being it was someone being not on the main racing line and then catching a bump and that flicked them into the barrier and it, and it wasn't because there was a, an incredibly stupid design no. to a hairpin or a chicane no okay, uh, but good. before the before the before the race on the saturday they had actually altered one of the they'd actually altered one of the sort of man-made hairpins okay to sort of just make it a little bit less tight i believe just make it a clearer line. Uh, so no, this this wasn't stupidly tight track, and it wasn't. It was pretty unfortunate actually, in that it was a car towards the middle of a pack, just fl- and and then there was a sort of knock on effect. Ah, well, that makes sense then with the the uh, the races driver scores, mm. because when I was reading through the driver scores, because I haven't had a chance to see any of the races, I could mm-hmm. see the score that was given to the driver. And then was looking at where they finished or did not finish uh, in comparison. Yeah. And I was going, you're being incredibly generous here. And I was reading through the things and saying, well, it, this wasn't their fault. That wasn't their fault. But if it was it, just... It's like a lot of that last one, by the way, was actually the reason that they were having to jink round was because Lucas Degrassi had a mechanical problem on the middle of the straight. And so everyone had to dodge round him. And it was dodging around... It was dodging around this suddenly slowed Audi that was causing that caused the problem. Oh, okay. So it, there was lots of stuff where it wasn't it wasn't people being idiots, and yeah, it wasn't okay. because it was a stupid track. It was, was a it was a genuine. Factors. It was a combination of factors making right. it genuine racing incidents. Okay. But anyway, that's fair enough. So who won? Sorry, I've, I've taken this way after off. After <laughs> all of that, Mitch Evans came third for Jaguar. Sam Bird came second for Jaguar. So uh-huh. good results for Jaguar. And uh, Jean-Eric Verne uh, won in the DS Tachita. They raced Tachita. Was it the new one? New car? Don't know. Th- it was I the E10 FE21. If I, if, I, if I remember from what I saw on It was. Well, if it's Twitter the E10 FE21, then it is probably the 2021 car. Yes. Well, that's that would a great make a lot of sense. result for DS then in the new hmm. car. Well, they weren't really meant to be first because Lucas Degrassi was kicking it, but yeah, um, but yes, it was, it was, it was unfortunately good, good result there though. Uh, on the Sunday, I didn't see it. There was a little. There were a couple more incidents. Uh, it was wet, of, wasn't it? Or wet leading coverage. up to it? Yeah, it was. It was damper. It wasn't as flipping cold as it was here, but it was. It was damp, uh, and then it was a, a mix-up at. at uh, a mix uh, in the, the top three. So pa- Pascal Verline for Tag Her Porsche Formula E uh, was third. It's the longest name in the whole thing. Second was Alexander Sims for Mahindra. And first, oh, there's a typo. Oh, that's bad. This t- spelled her name wrong. And then uh, number one is Stoffel Van Doorn with the in the Mercedes Benz EQ, which looks lovely. Really nice livery on the Mercedes. Yeah. It's a lot, lot like the Formula One car. Um, with that sort of little, all the little triple spike things, nice. So yeah, that was uh, that was that. Right, I'm going to move us on to the lunchtime read. 
It's not a lengthy one, but it is a good one. It's from Not Too Grand Again, and this time from Jake Belder, who's written uh, an interpretive guide to eBay adverts. So... <laughs> Uh, as he starts off, he said you read some of the handy guides to the not too grand motors and how you're ready to start your hunt for a new car. But this is to help you understand the lingo that comes up in the eBay <laughs> in eBay adverts. It's not just eBay, to be fair. <laughs> it's car adverts, full stop. But uh, they seem particularly well used and almost cliched in eBay car adverts. So do have a run through that. They are. They are very good. I, mm. I did enjoy this a lot. It was a good spot, there's, this one. There's a, a massive spoonful of the truth in this. Poking fun well. <laughs> right, we, we have a, a list of the week as well, don't we? Uh, yeah, list of the week this week falls to me, and it is from Autocar. And now that the world is opening up and we're able to go out and do more things and track days are back on again... Uh, this is 10 of the most unlikely track day cars. It says you don't need vintage metal or a flash new supercar to be a track day star. Just one of these 10 low-cost larrikins, whatever the heck a larrikin is. Anyway, Andrew, do you have a particular favourite in here? I do. Uh, it's the Seat Ibiza GTI from 1993 to 1999. I wanted one of those when I was just able to drive and starting my formative years in cars. Couldn't afford it, not by a long shot, let alone the insurance and all the rest of it. But I just thought they're a great little shape and they seem to have a, a bit of fun and rebelliousness, particularly if you put them against Volkswagens at the time, which seemed incredibly sensible. But were essentially the same car. Yeah. So you got the, you got the stuff that was built well, but then it had a, just a, just a bit of flair. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. But there are some cracking cars in this list. There are. There are. And ones that would that you would be incredibly embarrassed being passed on a track day. <laughs> yeah, I, I think a couple of them people got sort of mixed up and they started to, to come up with ones for drift days as well. There's there's quite a few drift machines in here. But, yeah, I, I would. There's a lot that I would. But there's the, the sticker price maximum is £3,000 of this list. So there you yeah. go. We're not, we won't say any more because there's, there's, there's only 10. There's 21 slides to go through, but only 10 cars. And finally, this week, we found a website that uh, we think you will all enjoy if you click through on the links. This is drawingdatabase.com. And these are blueprints for cars. And there's 30 pages on this website of these cars, or more, uh, of cars uh, showing you fantastically detailed drawings, which are all to help for 3D modelling, actually. Yeah. So they give you all the dimensions. They give you from the top, the side, the the front, the back, all that sort of stuff. But they cover such a wide gambit of cars. It's as if some people have just randomly pulled brochures off of Keith's shelves mm. and just, just decided to, and scanned them. Because quite a few of the pictures do come as if they're scanned out of a brochure. Yeah, which is not a bad thing, by the way. I mean, there's a Tatra 11 Cabrio. They're in no particular order here either. That's the crazy no. thing. You can search them. <laughs> but it says Ford Ranger 2019, Tatra 11 Cabriolet from 1923, uh, and then Lamborghini Aventador all in one, one row. Yes. Above that's the Deum it is from 2003. 
a 56 Ford F100, and we're just, we're just randomly picking on the first page. I mean, this could have been one of our longest lists of the week. Uh, but there's race cars too. There's a Brabham BT52 is there. Uh, there's also 1982 Ford Sierra on the same page. But the, the Batmobile, the 1966 one, uh, the Lincoln Futura-based one. Yep. I guess that's there too. So loads of stuff. Uh, yeah. I don't know where people have got them from. Uh, there might be some fun copyright issues on some of them. But it's cool. There's also aircraft and watercraft and weapons as well, if you're into that kind of stuff. But cars, buses, motorcycles, trucks, and trains and things. Yeah. I, I love looking at, effectively, pen drawings of stuff. Mm. I mean, that's one of the one of the main reasons I was so interested in getting in the architecture world um, was all that. But the, these, I could just spend hours and hours going through these. There's, uh, sorry, the, it, the trouble is it is one of these. You, you'll just find yourself down a absolute rabbit hole. He yeah, says, clicking on the picture. Now. Yeah, sorry. Right. Now. <laughs> I, I've got to isogrifo, by the way. So, so now is a good time to stop. Well, I've just come across the E30 on page 12. Ah, oh, car of my childhood. Right, moving on from that, then parish notes. Nothing particular. Last week's uh, Zoom Zoomers is, of course, out on YouTube. So uh, do feel free to go have a have a, a little bit of a, a watch through that if if you are sick of the current television coverage. Then that's about that. Might be a special edition this Friday. Okay depends how it depends how the recording goes on thursday so so uh eyes peeled for that don't worry i'll let you know uh, if if or when that comes out if it's not this friday it'll be the following one uh so yes special edition on its way cool does it for the week i think so don't forget between now and next week you can give us any feedback and share your thoughts to the show at motoring podcast on twitter and instagram on facebook and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com the hub of all our activities please don't forget about our patreon offer available at motoringpodcast.com slash support and please leave a review and rating on apple Podcasts or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing i meant to say in the middle hello to uh slovenia by the way oh yes thank you Yes, absolutely. So somebody has been hovering <laughs> number two in the 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 um, the Apple Podcasts chart for Slovenia for most of the week. Um, so yes, we're, we're we're big big in the Balkans. The <laughs> anyway, Andrew, uh, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Best way to get in touch with me is via Twitter. If you search for Crack Windscreen, you should find me there. And Alan, if people would like to get in touch with you personally, what's the best way for them to do that? Best way to get in touch with me is via Twitter, where I'm at AJP Bradley. That's B-R-A-D-L-E-Y. We'll be back very soon. But until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring.